You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Lots to get through today. Will schools reopen? We're going to check in. We're going to check in with someone who is on the front lines of this debate. John Jackson, he's president and CEO of the Schott Foundation for for Public Education. Excuse me. And, of course, the latest from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as President Trump looks to reset following that interview with Fox News and an opening bid for the next round of economic negotiations on Capitol Hill. President Trump's headed to Capitol Hill tomorrow. Lots to get through. Josh is going to stick around. Maddie Duppler's back to talk the economy. Uh, Mark Begich. Remember him? Mark Begich, Alaska senator, strategic consulting advisor now at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. Uh, he's going to call in for us as well. So double-shot COVID vaccine tests raise new pandemic challenge. This is U.S. cases rise 1.3%. Uh, here's the latest on the Bloomberg Terminal from my colleagues James Patton, Robert Langrith, and Stephanie Baker. They are reporting that when it comes to protecting the world from the coronavirus, two doses of a vaccine may be better than one. But doubling the number of jabs each person needs could complicate efforts to immunize billions of people and we were talking about this folks uh last last week and in the, in the, in the last couple of weeks just about how when we had dr deborah burks on just about how these vaccines are not you get a shot and then you know you're good to go for years it's you might have to get a couple and the latest results from front runners in the sprint to come up with a vaccine including the university of Oxford AstraZeneca PLC partnership and Moderna Inc. highlight that prospect. Joining us on the line is someone who knows all about the prospects and the coming political and policy challenges that lawmakers in Washington, D.C. face. That's none other than our very own Josh Wingrove. He is Bloomberg News White House reporter. Josh, what is the administration saying now that there's really feels like a drip, drip, drip of, of news and developments on the vaccination front? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Hahn, the head of the FDA, was on TV today saying, 
look, you know, they're optimistic for a vaccine uh, for emergency use by the end of, uh, of the year uh, as well, that he said it might be one of two things. In other words, it might not be just a vaccine that, poof, you're cured. It might be a vaccine that lessens the symptoms and makes it more like a common cold. So he's hoping for essentially one or the other. In other words, opening the door to the possibility that whatever vaccine we do come up with won't be sort of case closed on the virus. You know, they've been like just waiting for this, of course, because it's something of a silver bullet factor, right? The president has looked for quick fixes throughout the pandemic early on. Of course, he was touting hydroxychloroquine. He briefly earlier this month went back to touting that. It seems to have gone off his radar. Again, you know, he's talked about therapeutics like remdesivir. He's stockpiled even a lot of these drugs, and in some cases with hydroxychloroquine, uh, sent some to Brazil uh, before the FDA issued a poisoning uh, warning or cautioning around the use of that for COVID outside of a hospital. So, you know, it's been kind of this moving target. They certainly are expressing optimism on the vaccine markets, of course, are watching that. Uh, very closely, uh, but you know the, the jury is out. I mean, we just we've been watching on every sort of bit and bit on it. Uh, that we just don't know when it'll come, and we don't know how many people will take it when it gets there. Uh, Dr. Hahn alluded to that, saying, "Yes, you know, it is a problem." The sort of anti-vaxxer community, we just simply don't know how many people will take this thing, even if we do get it. Well, uh, and, and I think the the other the other looming fight is who gets it first. You know, a lot of people are going to want this thing, but it's not like it's a you know it's the new phone at the at the cell phone store it's it's a it's 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 a necessity and and i think you know will it be military personnel will it be government employees will it be frontline workers i mean it seemed like in conversations that i've had and i can't wait to hear what, what you're hearing as well because it seems like the administration as well as republicans and democrats mind you are preparing the public for this uh policy debate about who has access to the first round of vaccinations uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's not just the vaccine, too. You need, you know, you need people, you need needles, you, need, you know, you need supplies and locations to be able to do it. Uh, and it's just unclear to me that we're really there. I mean, you know, we still see in, across the U.S. wait times, <laughs> excuse me, over a week in some cases for people to get a test result back. So, like, if, you, if we can't get test results back in sooner than a week, hard to imagine being able to smoothly roll out a vaccine. And the question of who will pay for it. I mean, you know, we all know, know in the previous aid bills, there's been coverage for the coronavirus. Well, but some people didn't want to go to the doctor because they were worried, well, what if I don't have the coronavirus? What if my test comes back negative? Then I'm going to be on the history of my bill and maybe I don't have insurance. Maybe I've lost my job. Uh, and, you know, now I'm either losing or have lost my insurance. So absolutely, this one is a complicated one. You know, the president really, uh, in, in leaving it up to states, and at first he was sort of criticized for threatening the sort of Bigfoot states, and then he said, okay, well, fine, states can do whatever they want. Uh, and then the administration lamented that they were criticized that for it, too. But, uh, you know, undoubtedly, the sort of fractured nature of the response, the state-by-state response, is going to come into play when it comes to that vaccine. I think, you know, depending on how much money you have, depending on if you have insurance, and depending on where you live, all those will be factors. All right, Josh, we got to switch gears now. Uh, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you about Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, because he says he's mm-hmm. only, fo- or he's very much focused on kids and jobs, his words, kids and jobs, as the GOP is crafting a stimulus plan. President Trump is set to go uh, later this week uh, to Capitol Hill to meet with Leader McConnell, as well as House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Are they going to get a deal before August? Oh, man, I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> there, are, there, there are so there's so many issues on the table right now. I've been wondering why it is that they simply, you know, seem to be pushing against 
some of the spending. I mean, you know, the spending piled up in the previous bills. Normally, you think incumbent uh, presidents or prime ministers or what have you around the world would want to be sending people money on the eve of an election. But they, they, they seem to be pushing against that. There's considerable conservative pressure against that. And we just don't really know yet what shape that is going to be. The president wants that payroll tax holiday. There's a push from business groups to give it to businesses as well. Uh, you know, they, they, of course, want that back-to-work bonus. Again, maybe some of that will go to businesses. They want to take down those UI extensions. That could be very politically unpopular. People, of course, want that top-up, the extra unemployment payments. So we, we don't know. They certainly look like they're going to get a deal. And I think as long as Mnuchin is in the, in, in the driver's seat, he's got a pretty good relationship with Speaker Pelosi. That said, what will, what will Trump do if it comes to his desk and he doesn't like the form that it has taken, in particular if it doesn't, for instance, have some sort of payroll tax holiday in it, I think that's where the rub will be. You never really know what's going to happen when it hits the president's desk. So, all right. Well, we're going to leave it there, actually. Josh Wingrove. <laughs> you know, because you know why? Because Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to throw the first pitch for the Nats opening day. Did you see yeah. that? Did yeah, you see that? rocking the Nats mask in hearings, and it looks like it's paid yeah, off. You know, I mean, who would have thought? You know, listen. Try to, yeah, here, here he is. Oh, I'm not trying to be political. And then he goes and throws on a Nats face mask. Like, that's not political. Josh Wingrove. You know, where are the Phils? Hey, Doc, where are the Phils? Where are the birds? Put on the Eagles. Uh, Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. Thanks for uh, for coming on. I, I appreciate it. And coming up next, we're going to talk more education, kids and jobs. Dr. Fauci's throwing the first pitch. I wonder what President Trump thinks about that. Something tells me the White House press corps will ask him in the coming days. Down the load, the Bloomberg. How about I try that again? Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent from Bloomberg TV and Radio. Barada, Shirley, they're in the vid chat. We're calling the show. Marufal on the board. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thursday night, Nats Park. I guess not technically. Dr. Anthony Foucher, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, will throw the first pitch for the Washington Nationals on opening day. The team announced on Monday. I'm reading from Fox 29. Fox continues to report. The season begins Thursday night with the Nats hosting the New York Yankees. Dr. Fauci has been a true champion for our country during the COVID-19 pandemic and throughout his distinguished career. So it is only fitting that we honor him as we kick off the 2020 season and defend our World Series championship title. This according to the team. All right. So. He's going to throw the first pitch, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I find the whole conversation, for lack of a better word, uh, I find this fascinating because I think a lot of businesses are looking to the sports models to figure out how to reopen. And it's not just businesses. Obviously now it's schools as well. John H. Jackson is the president and CEO of the Schott Foundation for Public Education, and he joins us on the line. And, and I have so many questions for you. But, John, how should schools and teachers and communities be thinking about the first day of school in just a few short weeks 
should they be looking to models like how the sports leagues are doing it or is or have we not come up with a solution either way well first of all thank you for having me kevin um i think we should think about it in a very phased and with a very phased in approach um number one is assessing the resources that are available to provide this safety equipment that's necessary in the schools to um, ensure that our educators are safe and our young people are safe and parents who will need to visit the school can do it in a very safe way. Um, once that assessment is made, then it provides a roadmap on how the school should move from there. If those resources are not available or made available, then we are talking about equipping uh, parents with the types of resources and students um, that's needed to do to have remote learning. Um, the Wi-Fi, the broadband, the technology, um, the, the, the pieces that educators will need to use a, um, on, an online platform. If and in cases where those resources are made available, then we talk about with, with the youngest of young people, how do we put the safety equipment in place and what are the protocols that need to be in place? You know, should a young person um, contract COVID or even more should an educator contract it so that we have all of the plans and the plans behind the plans in place um, before we, we start the school year. You know, I, I think this is a, is a really fascinating conversation. And when I was prepping for this segment, I was trying to figure out, you know, what are some of the most pressing unanswered dynamics that we have to sort of figure out? And one of them is many schools in Washington, D.C., as well as in the, in the greater Washington, D.C. area and around the country, as you know, John, are trying to figure out, OK, maybe the kids only go for two days a week or one day a week and do the rest remote learning. Or maybe they just check in once every other week. And I'm sitting there and I'm scratching my head and I'm like, what 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 difference does that make? I mean, one kid gets it or one kid's in the community the, the virus spreads. They say you got two weeks. So should it be either we show up or we don't show up or what is the science saying and how are schools grappling with these decisions? Well, I think the science um, of those who are in pediatrics and the science of what young people need from a social perspective would say that it's good for them to be in a school setting. Now, the science around what family and working class families need, um, especially with those who have young children, says that they need an opportunity for um, their young people to go to safe places, which will allow them to go to work and continue to make it earn a living for their families. The science around um, the COVID says that we need to put in place the uh, safety precautions for all of this to happen. And that's where we're having this challenge because all of those sciences are blending together. And until we separate it and begin to phase in our approach and provide the resources in a very comprehensive way, I think we're just um, missing, missing a lot of the points because we're talking past one another and we're, we're throwing scientific numbers and data 
and we're missing the, the focus on our children and our educators. John H. Jackson's on the line. He is the president and CEO of the Schott Foundation for Public Education. In 1999, uh, the president, former President Bill Clinton appointed him to serve as the senior policy advisor in the Office for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Education. He's also been an adjunct professor of race, gender, and public policy at Georgetown, uh, and as well as conducted extensive research at Harvard Civil at Harvard Civil Rights Project on civil rights and opportunity gap issues. John, you know, you your organization just recently released a study, and what it found essentially is, well, I'm going to let you tell us what it found, but it, it really notes, I think, and underscores the unfortunate truth, the inconvenient truth, the uncomfortable truth with this entire pandemic, and that is that underserved cities and communities in cities are really going to be taking the brunt of the education gap in a recovery and in a wait for a recovery. That's correct. You know, unfortunately, our early beginnings as a country, we went through periods of brutal oppression in colonies and regions around the country, from the brutality against Native Americans to slavery. Then we transitioned to legal oppression through Jim Crow laws, redlining, and segregation. And the impact that the the impact of that oppression remains baked into the policies and outcomes in cities across the country. So last week, the uh, Shaw Foundation, we released our Loving Cities Index, uh, which is an assessment of the infrastructure and equity that is uh, placed in place in many communities across the country. And we assess 10 cities because the only way we deal with systems of hate and oppression is with systems of love. And the Loving Cities Index measures the degree to which the cities have developed the infrastructure and equity to provide all of its students and family an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to thrive. Right. So, you know, Kevin, we looked at cities like Albuquerque, Atlanta, Miami, Jackson, Mississippi, and made this assessment um, in hopes of getting the cities and philanthropy to really focus on providing yeah. those supports. All right. John H. Jackson, President and CEO of the Schott Foundation for Public Education. Thank you for giving us that important update. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. It's humid. Have you been outside? It's like going into a sauna. You walk out there, you're sweating. 
you know, I, I'm like, I'm going to, to get my iced coffee and I'm like, I, I just want to dump this thing of ice all over my face. It's that humid out. So make sure you're drinking your water. Uh, drink more water and then drink even more. Maddie Dupler's on the line, founder of Forward Strategy, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. She got out of Dodge. Her and the fam. Where are you guys? Wisconsin? I am in Wisconsin, and it is a balmy 77 degrees. It is lovely here. Well, it's like a ghost town here in D.C., but I'm glad that you and the fam are doing all right out there. You know, nothing like Wisconsin, especially this time of year. Former Democratic Alaska Senator Mark Begich, strategic consulting advisor now at Brownstein Hyatt Farmer and Trek, which has been so good to us with guests, and we're appreciative. Senator, thanks for joining. Are you in Alaska? I'm in Alaska where no humidity. Are you and, kidding me? Uh, last week, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. And last week we were as hot as 81 degrees. Wow. So uh, not bad, but dry, no no humidity. So, so you can actually walk to work and not sweat on the way there. I don't even, I th- and when I say sweat, folks, I think people who, I, I'm, I'm going to stop talking, but it is grossly humid. That's all I'm going to say. It is disgustingly humid outside in Washington, D.C. Senator, let's start with you, my friend. Let's talk about yeah. really this next round of economic stimulus. Because, you know, you got your friends in Washington here in the Capitol, and they're saying, you know, the president's saying he wants a payroll tax cut. He had his opening bid uh, with uh, on Fox News in that interview that I'm sure we all saw uh, over the weekend. And then you've got Leader McConnell saying he wants to to make sure that there's some liability protection. Speaker Pelosi on the other side of the fence, she's saying, hey, no, we got to make sure we have some relief for uh, for some underserved communities. Are they going to get a deal or not? I, I think they will. Here's why I think this. Every time, um, it, it, it's, you know, it's obviously $1 trillion is one number and $3 trillion is the other. $3 trillion the House. A little less than one trillion is what the Republican majority is talking about in the Senate. But what I think is going to happen is the, the pressure is mounting. By what I mean by that is, as July ends, as we know, the $600 stimulus uh, bonus unemployment check will end. There'll be some impacts, but some of the businesses are feeling it pretty heavy. You know, if you're in the travel tourism business, you're you're pretty wiped out uh, economically in a lot of ways. Um, if you're in um, certain other elements of the country, maybe if you own a mall or you're in a re- commercial real estate end, you're feeling that you've been carrying your tenants or now you can't carry them anymore. I think they're going to because the, the politics have changed. If you look back four months ago, you know, you could have predicted Senate solidly Republican control, House going to be Democratic and probably an edge to Trump at that point. Dynamics have shifted all around now. The House is still probably Democratic control, but the Senate could be a 50-50, and Trump's in trouble. So now everyone's trying to figure out what do they got to do to solve the problem. What I learned in Washington, Democrat or Republican, as soon as you start figuring out you're in trouble, you're going to be writing some checks. Wow. And uh, I think they're going to – so I think the liability issue is very interesting. I think there are Democrats who would support that under certain conditions, even though – Probably trial lawyers would be very agitated with it. Uh, I think there's going to be, there has to be more flexibility on this money that they gave to local state governments. And I think there's a lot of push from the National League of Cities and other organizations to create that. The one thing that's interesting is not talked about is basic infrastructure. Yeah. Which 
The president supports that. Democrats support it. Republicans support it. They're like vanished from the conversation. And there's no better economic driver than putting money into jobs that are ready, ready and re- you know available to go construction. So I think they'll get a deal. It's kind of a weird. There's optimism, but there's also this attitude. I hear it every day on my calls. I make and talk about. They're optimistic, and then they say, "But how could it happen?" And it's got. It's, so it's almost like they know it should happen. But they're not sure how it's going to happen. Right. They right. believe it will happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Former Democratic Alaska it's, Senator Mark yeah. Begich is on the line. He's now a strategic consulting advisor at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. Maddie, you hear the senator talk about really the pressure that the that the the political pressure that lawmakers are under right now from their constituents and how that uncertainty of the trajectory of both the house and the senate really could force some of these lawmakers to get to a deal is that what you're gathering yeah so the immediate timeline for action is July 31st because that is the expiration of the expanded unemployment benefits under the CARES Act and uh, Kevin, Bloomberg TV that put up a great graphic today that you reposted about yeah. all the It was my hit. Hey, you got to give a team credit. Bloomberg surveillance, right? I mean, like, you yeah, got Amy Rosen doing job. all the... Yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Go ahead. It is an excellent job. The whole team did an excellent job with this graphic, which showed the other cascading deadlines that will really start to put a pinch on American wallets. Things like, you know, eviction and forbearance efforts that are going to expire. That's when Americans are really going to feel the economic pressure. And to the senator's point, that's what translates into the more important deadline in some policymakers' minds, which is that deadline in November. They need to be showing, both Democrats and Republicans, need to show that they can provide a solution to what is an extremely acute economic circumstance for all Americans right now. Now, when when it comes to things like the, the nitty gritty of what could go in the bill, um, this payroll tax situation is interesting that the president keeps bringing it up. The Democrats and Republicans both signed on in the CARES Act to a payroll tax holiday. Uh, and that makes sense in the sense that you're trying to give businesses a ton of liquidity to get through the uncertainty of um, of these these weeks and months. But, you know, what we really need policymakers to be looking at is where they can get the biggest bang for their buck. So here's the deal. While we might have low interest rates now, while we might have an unprecedented economic circumstance in front of us, we still don't have unlimited fiscal space. The bill will eventually come due for the amount of spending that we have had to we have had to authorize in order to overcome the government mandated shutdowns that were required to contain the coronavirus. I think the other thing that's very important to remember for Republicans and Democrats alike is that the CARES Act, when it was passed, the premise was that we would be in a better situation in the summer months than we are now. It's obvious that we did not anticipate infection rates going up the way that they are. We did not anticipate the economic pressure to continue to be as acute as it is now. So Congress certainly has a role to act. And I would suggest that finding the biggest bang for the buck is the most important thing that Democrats and Republicans can do to come together to deliver something that actually helps the American people as they continue right. to try and figure out how they're going to get through this. Hey, Senator Baggage, I mean, you know, I'm sure I'm curious to, to, to hear what the small businesses up in uh, your part of the, the world is 
are, are saying because the the, the business yeah. community that I talk with, I mean, they needed the cash yesterday. And, and, and you know, the big businesses, yeah. and I'm not one to demonize big or small businesses, but we've got 60 seconds before the jump and we can pick it up after, but we, in 60 seconds. What are you hearing from the small businesses about the access to liquidity that they need? Well, I think they use, especially in the hospitality, restaurant, those kind of service sector areas, the PPP program, they've burned through that. And because they can't get any more capital and, and the emergency money, uh, disaster relief money is hard to get. It's very small. Uh, they need additional working capital is the name of the game. And they don't need it uh, three weeks from now. They don't need it a month from now. They need it today in order to do it. They also need to make sure more flexibility on that PPP because the ratios that Congress is trying to figure out all the time, how much for payroll, how much for utilities, they don't know what the hell they're doing in that arena. They should just allow the flexibility for the businesses to use it as working capital to ensure that they can make it through this period. That is the number one issue that yeah. I hear over and over again. Okay. All right. Both of you stick around. We've got much more coming up with the panel. They're going to tell me one thing that's on their radar. That's coming up next. Remember, you can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Drink some water, folks. It's a hot one. It's a hot one. It is a hot one. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm going back to Delco this weekend. Cannot wait. It is the dad's big 7-0. He's turning 70. And so I'm asking all of our esteemed guests, our really esteemed guests, what I should get dad for the 70th. Maddie Dupler, founder of Forward Strategy, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference is on the line, as is former Democratic Alaska Senator Mark Begich. Now he is strategic consulting advisor, Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. All right, Maddie, what do I get dad for the big 7 0? Dads are the hardest to shop for. Does he Tell fish? me about it, especially Nick Cirilli. Go ahead. Does he fish, Kev? Yeah, he fishes, but when we go fishing, it's like down the Jersey Shore, so it's not really like, how do I want to say that? It's not, it's not like we're in Nantucket. You know what I mean? And I got nothing against <laughs> Nantucket. I got nothing against Nantucket or where's the other place they all go? The Hamptons. You know, but I, he's not like that type of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, my dad is someone who can't shop for him for anything, so you just have to give him something related to fishing because that is his, like, number one primo hobby. Now that he's retired, it's the only thing he does. All right. Well, all right. Thanks. Senator, what do I get him? <laughs> what do you get him? A trip to Alaska to remote he would love that. to go fishing. He to would love that. Because the fish, the fish in the lower 48 are like bait for us. <laughs> you know, I will say he Senator, loves Alaska. thing about Alaska where he says even he can catch fish in Alaska. It's such a beautiful, wonderful, yeah. amazing place to fish. I would love to go to Alaska yeah, with my dad. Fish, you, 
You can walk across the water on the backs of the fish. There's so many. How about that? I, you know what, <laughs> Senator? You and I are going to talk because uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if I. He's 70, so I'm like nervous about the whole flight thing, you know, with the the COVID and everything. But um, but I like right. that idea in the future of a future trip. Maybe when he's, you know, yeah. Maybe when things when things open up. All right, this is the favorite part of my show. It is where I ask our panelists what is on their radar. Maddie, what is on your radar? Kevin, I gotta go back to my roots and talk taxes real quick because it's an issue that Take has your not time. gotten attention. <laughs> has not gotten attention in these final negotiations on a next coronavirus bill, and it has to do with the fact that we've got people who are now working in different states or different tax jurisdictions than their offices. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it might mean that you've got a million, millions of workers who all of a sudden have to file different paperwork in order to make sure that they're not getting assessed taxes on income earned in a different state because they're working in a different tax jurisdiction. It could be a total mess for the 2020 tax year if Congress doesn't clarify this. So all Congress has to do is step in and say, listen, if you're working from home because you are doing your part and you are staying at home and social distancing and you're abiding by your state stay-at-home orders, we're just going to count that work as work you did in your office whatever state or local tax jurisdiction that might be in, and we're not going to bother you with it. You don't have to file a separate tax return or anything like that. That would go a long way to making sure that the 2020 tax filing uh, season is not a complete nightmare for taxpayers. That's a really good one. And and do you think, just to follow up on that, do you think that we're going to see, is the IRS in for in for a nightmare this year? Yeah, Maddie? The IRS is in for a lot is going to have a work cut out for it next year if it doesn't get this clarification clarification from congress so hopefully they're talking with lawmakers there senator uh portman or excuse me senator soon has a bill to clarify this there is a house bill as well um this has been an issue a remote work issue as the work gets as the world gets more mobile this has been an issue that states have been focused on uh, and there's been bipartisan legislation in congress to further clarify keeping taxpayers whole while they work in different places throughout the year. We need more attention on this issue. We definitely need more attention now that coronavirus is all working from home. Senator, what is your what is on yeah. your radar? Yeah, first I want to do a quick response. You know what's amazing? It's taken a crisis for Congress to try to focus on the gig economy, the new economy, the remote economy that people have been talking about for years that this is where the economy was shifting. Now, of course, a crisis pushed us there, but that's not... I, I was just interested in the conversation. There are two things which will be contradictory in a way. One is uh, sooner or later, we got to pay the bill, yep. and the bill is going to be big. Uh, we think two, three trillion now is probably by the time we're done, four to five and a half trillion, and we're going to have some negative you know, impact on inflation, cost of goods, you name it, and the federal deficit, cost of borrowing money, all those things that drive an economy. So we got a short-term crisis, but a big problem on the horizon that we got to deal with. Second, which is, again, this will be contradictory, we have to invest money in infrastructure. Maybe it's my... Roots, as a, a mayor, you know, we like to build stuff because if you don't build it, an economy doesn't grow. And, you know, we got a lot of stuff out there. It doesn't matter if it's the park service to the roads, to water, sewer, telecom, whatever it is, and infrastructure that is in desperate need of repair and, and working. And that has multi-year impact on the economy once it's completed or even in process. So I, I guess those are the things, because all the crisis stuff, 
we'll get through it. It will be painful. It will be giving us new ideas of how to do things. But you got to look at the long game. And the long game is you're going to have to deal with what it all costs, but you're also going to have to deal with rebuilding the infrastructure and all the activity that goes along with it. Because once you build it, the economy can sustain itself beyond this crisis we're in today. That is a really good one. That is a really good one. And, of course, you're getting back to your to your early political career days uh, yeah. when you were the, the mayor of, uh, of Anchorage. So uh, that, that's a yeah. great one. You know what's on my radar? It's uh, this book called Across That Bridge, and it a vision for change in the future of America, published by now the late, great civil rights icon John Lewis. And there's a quote in this oh. book, and if you haven't, if you haven't read this book, read it. And the quote is, quote, freedom is not a state. It is an act. It is not some enchanted garden perched high on a distant plateau where we can finally sit down and rest. Freedom is the continuous action we all must take, and each generation must do its part to create an even more fair, more just society. That from, again, John Lewis, who passed away. Uh, over the weekend, the That's great. John Lewis. And, and Amen. Sen- do you guys have any, uh, just, we've got like a minute left, but Senator, do you have any memories yeah. with him? Oh, oh, well, first, Kevin, I forgot to say what's really on my radar screen. Tomorrow I celebrate my 30th wedding anniversary. Oh. We were going to be on a Viking cruise, which, of course, not happening in Europe. So <laughs> we're going to have a nice dinner at a European restaurant here. So That's we'll, amazing. We'll cruise there in a car. So good. Um, I, I, I do hey, not, happy I anniversary! Congratulations. That's well, no small feat. Oh, no, thank, thank you. But uh, I don't. I didn't really know him personally, but I always enjoyed watching him when he spoke on the floor because his eloquence and his history it just remind you of the kind of leadership yeah. and my own opinion is void right now in this country you know you can agree or disagree with his politics but his fight to put his life on the line for what he believed in was an amazing uh statement of a personal character uh his characteristics and so Matt, that's yeah. that's what i remember about him maddie what about you I, I didn't get to interact with him personally since I worked on the Republican yeah. side of things in the House, but I saw a great anecdote about how at the inauguration of President Barack Obama, he had him sign a piece of paper, and President Obama on it wrote, because of you, John, which I just think wow. really speaks to the impact wow. of the legacy wow. that he had. That is very powerful. All right. My thanks to uh, former Senator Mark Begich and, of course, to Maddie Zuppler, uh, both of you for, for being so generous with your time this evening. And happy anniversary, Senator. Seriously, happy anniversary. Maybe I'll get that trip to Alaska with my dad in a couple of years, and you will go on that cruise with your wife when things get back to normal. That does it for me. Much more all throughout the week. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Drink some water. It's a hot one. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it. If you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. 
Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.